And so God gave him a guy by the name of Saul. Saul didn't do so well, so he gave him a guy by the name of David. And David didn't do so well, so there came a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon ends up didn't do so well. They give him a guy, two guys. They split the kingdom, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Ten of the tribes of Israel as a whole go to the north, and from here on out we call them Israel. Uh, they don't have one good king. All of them are bad kings. And two tribes go to the south. We call them Judah. And they have good and bad kings. So when we find our story, what we find is we're at the bottom part, the last part of, that, of, of the kingdom of Judah. And Judah is get, starting to wind down and come to a close. Jeremiah spends, about, spends 40 years of his life ministering to these people, basically telling them, um, God's had enough. And Jeremiah is actually going to watch the kingdom fall apart, and then he's going to be there picking up little pieces of it afterwards. And so he's going to endure all of it. Um, and uh, it's a tough job. When we started Jeremiah, a guy by the name of Josiah was the king. He was the last good king. And he reigned for a while. And Jeremiah got to enjoy somewhere. There's actually a king who wanted to try to do what's right. When we pick up the story this morning... Josiah has died. There is a second king that came on. He lasted a whole three months. And then we have a third, the next king that comes in, and he lasts, Jehoiachim is his name, he lasts about 11 years. So the message that we're going to look at this morning from Jeremiah is preached somewhere in that time frame. Uh, and in another 11 years and three months, the kingdom's done. So that's important today because... At the beginning in chapter 16, God's going to ask Jeremiah to do some tough things. And what I want you to understand this morning is the things God asked him, we know he has to do for at least 11 years. May have had to do them for as long as 22 years. And so up until now, Jeremiah, there's a series of 12 sermons that he gives to Judah. We've talked about some of them. Um, I've illustrated them, and I decided I'm going to start leaving my props up here as we talk. For one, it'll drive visitors just nuts. Because they'll go, what in the world have I stepped into? Do they even have a cleaning person? Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, we talked about the scarecrow idea where, where he says, you're, he said, Israel, you're like, you're, it's like you're following, or Judah, you're following other gods. It's like, it's, they're like scarecrows. You've got to pick them up and move them. They can't take care of themselves. They can't do anything with themselves. You've got to dress them and everything. That's silly. Why don't you follow the living God? Instead of God, an idol that you've made up that's like a scarecrow. And then he talks about the idea of the old paths. And I have to put a bunch of dirt up here. I don't want to do that yet. Um, uh, but, but going back to the old ways, the ways that I had originally intended. And last time we were here together, um, we talked about uh, his illustration with underwear. Remember that? I, I used a T-shirt. Uh, but, but <laughs> you know, God actually told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to go get a new pair of underwear. I want you to wear it. Then I want you to hike a long distance, probably, and, and put it in a cliff. And then I want you to go home, and then I want you to come back and get it and put it on. And Jeremiah goes, it's worthless. I can't put this on. God said, exactly. Because my people have made themselves worthless. And it's exactly like that, Jeremiah. I, they were clean and spotless and perfect, and everything was great. And they got away from me. And they, and they, they, they tarnished their, their, their reputation and their life and everything else. And, Je and Jeremiah, you're asking me to take them back, and I will take them back, but you need to understand, this is what I'm taking back. There's just not a lot of value here, Jeremiah. But I'll take them back if they'll come back. 
And, and it was a vivid illustration for Jeremiah. Now, when you get to chapter 16, it's kind of interesting because what God does is God's going to ask four things specifically of Jeremiah. All right? I'm not going to read chapter 16. You've got a Bible. You read it yourself. Okay? Uh, we're going to look at chapter 17 this morning. But I, I don't want to skip chapter 16 because it is important. In chapter 16, God asks four things of Jeremiah. The first thing he asks of Jeremiah, he says, is, I don't want you to get married. Um, right at the back, God looks at Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, um, you're going to stay single. I don't want you to get married. Now, that seems like an insignificant thing, but I want you to stop for a minute and think about that for a minute. You're a guy living during this time, and there's a girl over there, and you've got your eye on her. And you're thinking, maybe we could get married. And then God comes along and says, hey, by the way, one thing, you know, you might have a dream or whatever else for like a marriage and family. and Let's just cross that off the list right now. Don't get married, Jeremiah. And you know, when we look at it, we're kind of like, why would God ask something like that of his servant? Here's what you need to know about God. Sometimes God asks tough things. And there's something else you'll learn about God. Is that God knows better than you do. You see, because the reality of it was what looks like it is harsh, don't get married, was really God's grace and love. Because let's just play it out in our head for a minute. Let's say Jeremiah gets married. What's going to happen in the next 12 years? He's going to watch his wife get ripped away from him taken and given to another man, he is going to watch possibly him either having to stay there in the area and her go, to, go, go into captivity, or he go into captivity and they be apart forever. Now, it looks like when God looks at Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, don't get married, he's being harsh. But the reality of it is, God knows what's coming. And God doesn't want to make it any more difficult for a servant than it has to be. And so it's really God's grace and God's goodness in looking at him and saying, look, don't go down this road right now. I know what's coming. Listen to me. When you read the Bible, God asks difficult things of us. And here's what you need to understand. Those difficult things are for a reason. They're in the Bible for a purpose. When God says, don't let anger and bitterness well up in your heart because it will destroy you and, many, and, and everyone around you, it's not because God doesn't want you to get even with somebody. It's not because God's mad at you. God just knows it will destroy you. So he says, don't do it. When God says, look, don't get drunk, it's not because God's like, you know, I don't ever want you to, to enjoy being drunk. It's like God goes, no, no, I know the result of that. See, I, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've, I've never had anybody look at me and go, you know, my one regret in life is I didn't get plastered more. <clears throat> you know, I just wish you would have got plastered more. But I have had lots of people tell me, I wish I never would have gotten it out of control because I did a bunch of stuff I regret and it has changed the course of my life. God made it real simple. Don't get drunk. God made it real simple. Sex stays within the context of marriage. Why? Why? Because he knows 
take it outside of that context, and let me tell you something. The ramifications of that go deep. Corinthians actually goes so far as to say it this way. When you do that, you give away a piece of your soul. It's one sin that's different than anything else. Not, not that it's worse or better or anything else. It's different because there is a part of your soul that goes away when you do that. And so Jeremiah, and so God just says, look, don't do it. I'm going to tell you the best way to live life. I'm going to tell you the best way to do it. Within the context of marriage, great. Take it outside the context of marriage, trouble. Over and over again, God asks difficult things. But in the end, God knows they are the best. And that's why he says, don't go down those roads. He comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, don't get married. Because I know what's coming. This will be the best way for you to live your life right now. Don't go down this road. Then God comes to him and says this, don't go to any more funerals. Don't go to any more funerals. Don't mourn. Don't hang with those who are mourning. And you're going, what? Here's why. Because God is saying to Jeremiah this, <clears throat> when you go to a funeral, who do, who do we mourn when we go to a funeral? We mourn the dead person, right? The person who's died, correct? Here's what, Jeremiah, here's what God was saying to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, listen, I don't want you to go to more funerals. Here's why. Because when you go to a funeral, you mourn the person that's dead. But out of the entire group that's assembled at that thing, you know who you ought to be mourning? The people who are alive who are about ready to face my judgment. The person who's dead has got it the best in the room right now. You really want to mourn, Jeremiah? Mourn all the people that are alive who are going to experience what's about to happen to you guys because you won't follow me. And then he says, Jeremiah, don't go to any more weddings. Don't celebrate. Cut it out. Now, if you think about it for a minute, you're talking about a guy now who you've gone from don't get married and have no social life. And God comes to him and says, look, here's why, Jeremiah, because there's nothing to celebrate there. You go to a wedding and you celebrate. When we go to a wedding, what do we celebrate? The idea that these two people have this wonderful, huge, exciting life in front of them. Not so if you're 11 years from God destroying the nation. You've got, you go to that wedding and you're giving them a bunch of false hope because in the end, you know what's going to happen? They're going to be split apart. And the woman's going to be taken and given to somebody else. It's nothing to celebrate there, Jeremiah. It's going to be horrible, Jeremiah. Because my people won't turn back to me. He said, Jeremiah, this is serious business, man. I don't want you to even be a part of that kind of thing. And then he asked one more thing of him. He said, Jeremiah, every time you have an opportunity and you talk to somebody, from here on out. By the way, remember when I said there's like 11 years at least? If this comes at the end of Jehoiachim's reign, there's at least 11 more years. This is what he's going to do for 11 years. Then you know what he has to do? Every time you see somebody, I want you to remind them that judgment is coming. And the reason, and, 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 and in chapter 16, it's very, very specific about it. He says, the reason is because evil has been entrenched in their lives and they're teaching it to their children. So think about this. If, if I was Jeremiah, and it's 2013, and I'm Jeremiah, and God's given me these commands, here's what it means. It means when you walked in and you see me at the, when you saw me at the fair, I'd walk up and say, hi, my name's Jim Thomas. Evil's entrenched in your life. You've taught it to your children. God's going to destroy you. 
Oh, is this guy like a conversation killer that you want to invite to every, every celebration? Hey, let me introduce you to my pastor. Hi, my name's Jim Thomas. God's going to destroy this nation because evil's been entrenched in them and in you and in your children. And you've taught it to your children. I mean, really? Really? Sometimes God asks tough things. And you know what? And Jeremiah is going to go throughout, throughout his, his, his life for the next 10, 12 years with these stipulations on him. That's why I have so much respect for this guy because God has tough things and this guy follows through with them every time. And so anyway, with that in mind, we now come to chapter 17. Some say you could take all of the prophecies of Jeremiah and wrap them up in chapter 17. They say it's like the pivotal point of all of Jeremiah's message. Okay? So here's what he says. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, starting, <coughs> starting in verse uh, 5. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who depends on his flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. He now comes to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah starts preaching, and he says, look, let me tell you something. He's, he's going to lay this out in chapter 17. He's going to say, there's two types of people, the cursed man and the blessed man. Let me tell you about the cursed man. And he gives you the characteristics of the cursed man. He says, first of all, notice this. He trusts in who? Man. His confidence, his security, his safety is in himself or in what he believes or what he thinks or how he feels. It's all about him. You come to this kind of person, you say, look, you know what, I, that whole religion thing, I don't need that. Like that God thing, that's like for other people who, who like are weak and, and, and all these kinds. Of, you know what, I, I, I think I'm going to be okay. The confidence is in themselves. And he said... That type of person doesn't realize it, but <laughs> he said they're cursed. Notice he says they depend on the flesh for his strength. It's all about what they can do. It becomes the idea of, well, you know, it, you know I've done this, or I've done this, or I've done this. You know, it's like, you know, I, I was like kind of kind to most people. And so God's going God's to cut me a little slack when I die. He's trusting in their confidence. You know what? I, I don't need that like religion, Christianity, Bible kind of thing. You know, that, that's for other people. That's not for me. I don't need that. That kind of person. And notice what he says about him. Because Jeremiah is, is vivid with it. He said he departs from the Lord. In other words, when he has a decision to make in life, there's God's way and there's the other path. He says, you know what, I understand what God says, but I'm going to go my way. You know what, I understand what God says about how I should treat my spouse, but God doesn't live with this person. I mean, he'd do it differently. He'd say it differently if he lived with that, with my spouse. You know, I know what God says about loving your enemies, but, but, but you don't understand what they did to me. And if you understood what they did to me, you'd understand why it's okay for me to go this path. I, I understand what God says about how I should run my business. But, but you don't understand, in the business world, everybody else does it this way. And if I do it that way, that ain't going to work. So, 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 so if I do it God's way, that's not going to work. So, so I'm going to go this way, because this is the way everybody else is doing it. You know, I, I, I know God says I should be kind to cashiers who are stupid. 
But you don't understand how slow they are and how busy I am and how much I've got to do and how they've just like messed up my whole day. I've got to be able to give them a piece of my mind. No, you need to go work as a cashier for a year and I guarantee you, you'll keep your mouth shut. See? That, and, and, because God says, look, this is the way we treat people. We treat people with dignity, honor, and respect. Why? Because they deserved it? No, because they're a creature made in the image of God. Do, do, do I need to like step on more toes? Because there's like a lot of routes we can go here. You see what I'm saying? The cursed man, the man who doesn't get it, is choosing his path all the time. And notice how he describes his life. He's like a, okay, this is one of, this is one of Greg's plants. <clears throat> Hey, actually, this is a plant that I bought a year ago in spring. I put it in a, in a whiskey barrel out in my front. It grew up great, big, tall, beautiful, but then in the fall, then winter's over, and I have to dig it out, and I plant a new one there. But the root ball in this thing was so massive, I couldn't do anything with it, so I threw it to fill in a trench. And then yesterday when I was thinking about my sermon, I went, hey, I know where there's a dead thing. Um, so I went and got it back out, put it in a bucket, called it good. Here's the idea, okay? He says, you need to understand that, that that man who thinks he's got it all figured out is really like a dead bush in the desert. He said, he, he thinks he's got it all figured out, but the reality of it is he's trusting in himself, and there are going to come times in life when that won't cut it. He may not have experienced them yet, but he's going to experience them because life is life. And when he does, he's not going to be able to handle it. He's going to dry up inside. There's going to be no hope, security, confidence, trust, and everything else. He's going to be, he's going to be scared to death. He said, that kind of person, he said, really has a, is going to have a tough world. And then he goes on. But let me tell you about the blessed man. Notice what he goes on to say. But the blessed man is he who trusts in the Lord. Same, both people trust. One trusts in God, one trusts in himself. His trust is in His confidence is in God. He will be like a tree planted by water. By the way, does this sound like Psalms 1 to anybody? He will be like a tree planted by water. Now, it's interesting because notice that the tree is planted so that means that it was taken from where it was. This thing's falling all apart. And placed close to a water source. Oh, yes, had to. Placed close to a water source. All right? It's placed close to a water source. And then what does the tree do? Notice what it says. Then what does it do? God takes the tree and plants it at the water. Now, by the water. Now, what does the tree do? Because the tree has a responsibility here. The tree sends out roots where? To the water. And it provides it with its nourishment. Okay? I learned this this year. Last year, you know, those of you who know me, I'm like an automated everything. Everything I can automate, I automate. So I automated my, my uh, drip irrigation water system for my garden. Last year, I didn't put it in. I thought, I'm not going to take time to put it in. Oh, 
What a mistake. Last year was the year we really needed it. This year, I decided, you know what? I'm going to take time. I'm going to hook it all up. Got it all hooked up. Dial in my numbers. Every one of my plants, every one of my tomato plants get between a quarter and a half gallon of water every single day. Okay? My tomato plants are like this tall. They are loaded. I just, I just need them to turn. Um, they're not turning yet. Um, you can tell me how to do it later, and I've heard all about the brown bag and the things you did. So, but anyway, um, I, I, I'm going to... So they're loaded this year. Why? Because they get a water source right to the root every single day. Every single day. And I even have it hooked up, so I put like miracle Grow on it every two weeks, and, and then it gets all the micronutrients that it needs and grass and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it, 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 they're massive, and they're loaded. Why? Because they've sent out roots sent out roots by the stream, and notice what happens. Notice the response to this plant. When the heat comes, what? Doesn't fear. When those hot, dry times come in life, it's okay. When its leaves are always green. And it has no worries in the year of drought. And it never ceases to bear fruit. Jeremiah says, you want to know what kind of man God honors? You want to know what kind of man or woman you and I need to be? The kind that's confidence is in God, that sends out its roots, where we go to God and say, okay, God, what do you say about this? God, how should I live? What does the Bible say about what I should do? How should I raise my kids? What kind of grandparents should I be? What kind of uh, employee should I be? What kind of employer should I be? Oh, God, what do you say about what I should, how I should treat my spouse? Um, all right, God, um, what do you say about, you know, obeying authority like speed limits? Um, <laughs> the blessed man says, this is where I find my answers. This is where I get the source for my life. This is the where I get my encouragement to go on. This is, and when those tough times come, to the cursed man, to the blessed man, green, growing, Drought doesn't bother. It still continues to bear fruit. Why? Because it is sourced in something else. And Jeremiah says, those are the two types of people that I'm preaching to right now. You know what? 3,000 plus years later, you know what time? You know what two types of people I'm preaching to this morning? There they are. And then he goes on to listen to what he says. He goes on to say this. In the next passage, he says, uh, let's see, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Literally, you know what this says? The heart is mortally ill. It's like a cancer that you can't cure. It has this disease that will always turn you away from the right thing. Sin did that all the way back in the garden. And we, and our heart, you, you, look, you know this, right or wrong. You can convince yourself that anything becomes a need when you really want to buy it. You know how many tools I need? Yeah, exactly, you're exactly right. It depends on which project came up. And it's amazing. My wife yesterday, it was funny because she was helping me and we were working on our bathroom and I said, hey, honey, hey, me, I, I need a screwdriver to get this up. She grabbed a screwdriver. I go, no, you can't use that screwdriver. I said, that screwdriver is only for electrical. I said, that's, that's a $20 screwdriver. Of course, I shouldn't have told her the price, but I said, that's a $20 <laughs> screwdriver. 
there's a special screwdriver. It's insulated. I said, you can't use that screwdriver. So then she pulled out another one. I'm like, no, 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 that's the same kind. You can't use that one either. And then she pulled out another one, which was one of those that the, the blade splits so that you can hold screws better and all that. And, and I said, no, you can't use it. And she looked at me and says, they're all screwdrivers. I said, no, 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 no. You're getting on electrical boxes. I said, go to the other box right there. And I said, you can take them out of there. I said, those are the ones I don't care about. So, <clears throat> you know, she's looking at me like, yeah. And, and then I, later I said, uh, doing drywall, and so I said, uh, let me hand that rasp. He goes, what's a rasp? I said, it's that thing over there. Oh, she, and I said, I said, look, if you ever get fired from teaching, I said, you've got a whole new career. I said, because, <clears throat> I said, you'll be good. You'll know what all these tools are gone. You know as well as I do. When you want to, you can convince yourself anything. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse heart, verse 9. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. It is bent on directions that are not good for you in the end. It's the natural bend of your heart. And, and Jeremiah says, look, if you're going to trust in yourself and your heart, you're in trouble. But he goes on to say this. The Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. God says, look, if you let me, I will take this book, my Holy Spirit, my word, and I will help you figure out what you need to do so you're not following your heart that is bent to do wrong anyway. That will convince itself that, that, okay, that person was mean to me and I have a right to be angry at them. Chapter and verse, please. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't know how badly they hurt me. You don't know how badly. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. Really? I, I guarantee you this. I don't know what they did. But I guarantee you this. They never treated you worse than people treated Christ. And what did he say as an example? Father, forgive them. You want to get really scary? If you won't forgive, here's my suggestion to you. You need to just stop praying the Lord's Prayer completely. Because what do we say in the Lord's Prayer? God, you forgive me in the same way I forgive other people. Now, the only way you can say that is if you're forgiven like you're supposed to forgive. Make sense? And this is what he's saying. He's going through this and he's saying, look, I can have God examine my heart and say, God, you know, look, I want to kill him. God, I want to get back up. So, God, you're going to have to help me here as only you can. Because if I'm going to love him, it's not going to be because I want to. It's going to be because you told me to and you gave me the help to do it. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying, let the Lord search your heart. And he goes on to say this. Heal me, O Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me and I'll be saved. If you're the one to pray. The only way you and I can become the blessed person is when we let God heal us and save us. And God is the one who takes us and transplants us from the desert of trusting ourselves to that place beside the river where we can grow like God intended us to grow. And that's what Jeremiah pleads with these people to do. Because Jeremiah knows if they don't do that, judgment's around the corner. And all those people who are trusting in the scarecrows and the idols and all of that kind of stuff, they are going to be in utter despair. And by the way, read the prophets when the, people, when the children of Israel are in exile. Listen to their cries. And their cries are, oh God, oh God, give us a second chance. Give us another opportunity. We 
didn't realize what we had. Because now we don't have the ability to cope with all of the stuff. But you, oh God, you're the one we can put our confidence and trust in. So, takeaways for us, quick, wrap it up, is this idea. God's going to ask some tough stuff of you. That's okay. It's not because he wants to hurt us, it's because he loves us. You and I are trusting in one of two things. We're trusting ourselves. In which case, that's what's going to end up like right there. A dead plant. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to thrive in difficult times. You're not going to be able to go through those difficult times and, and bear fruit. It's going to dramatically affect your life. Or we can be like that person who puts their faith and trust in Christ. Ask God to heal them and save them. And God takes us and he plant, transplants us by a river and gives us the ability to look to him every day and to find hope and encouragement. And so when we go through a difficult thing where we have lost a loved one, we can sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. When we go through a, sitting in a doctor's office and get some diagnosis that we don't like, there's a comfort and a peace and a, and, and a sense of it'll be okay, God's in control, that you can't explain otherwise. Those are the kinds of things the blessed man has. And those are the kinds of things I desire for each of you to have. Because life gets ugly, and life gets hard. And life is life. It's going to throw stuff at you. And I don't know, I honestly don't know how you can go through some of the things that people have to go through without Christ. I really don't. You, you want to call it a crutch and call me weak? Fine. Call it a crutch and call me weak. But I can tell you this. I will handle it far better than you who wants to handle it on your own. And I challenge you to really take a good hard look at your life and ask yourself, is your faith and trust in Christ? Or is it in yourself? And if it's in yourself... Don't forget the dead bush. And when those times come, that will show itself clear. For those of you who have your faith and trust in Christ, I want to encourage you that as you're going through tough times, the tree had a responsibility to send the root to the stream. You have to go back to the Word of God and get your source and comfort and encouragement and help and strength as well something on your part that has to be done. And God takes care of the rest of it. But you've got to step out that way too. Let's pray. Lord, this week, God, when you ask us to do difficult things, may we say yes. Whether it makes sense or not, whether we agree or not, Lord, may you help us to do the things that you ask for us. Because Lord, in the end, they are the best things for us. Lord, May each of us be honest about the road we're on, whether our trust is in ourselves, whether our trust is in you. Lord, for those who may not have put their faith and trust in you, would you help them to understand this day that, Lord, they need you. That, Lord, they need a relationship with you, that they need something that's real and genuine and that can give them life and help during those difficult days as well as good days. And, Lord, may you reveal to each of us in our hearts this week whether we're trusting in you like we should. 
for those areas, Lord, that maybe we have trusted you with and then taken back and kind of put our hands in control on, Lord, would you help us to take our hands off the wheels and really turn it over to you? To see you work as only you can. Now, God, use us. Thanks for this day. And uh, may we honor you with our decisions this week. These things we ask in your name.